We've been studying the judges in uh, the Old Testament. We introduced the study of Gideon uh, last week in chapter 6. We're going to kind of cruise through 7 and maybe even a little bit of 8 today. I'm going to ask you to, if, if you want to prepare ahead for next week, read chapter 11. We're going to meet a guy that you'll need to practice all week learning how to pronounce his name. His name is Jephthah. Jephthah. That one's kind of, you got to kind of practice that one. We'll, be, we'll talk about Jephthah next week, chapter 11. So if you want to read that. By the way, the socks are over. They're just, they're just way out there. You've you got to see Ellie's socks today. They, they almost go with your shirt. <laughs> wow. Happy Father's Day, L.E. Okay. Now, do I? You didn't get a tie. You got socks. Okay. Uh, now, I want to, Rhonda and I were talking about this again this morning. I, I want to make sure, go to, we're in chapter 6, but going to go over just for a second to chapter 17. There's a statement that I want us to kind of pour over us a little bit. Uh, as we do this study over these weeks. Because I think it's really true. Now, I didn't, I didn't coin this sentence, but I'm living with it as I'm um, trying to determine what the book of Judges has to say to me. Okay, 17.6. Phil, I, I, I messed up your count, but I got to ask you a question. Did you bring your yellow car? You didn't bring your yellow car. He's got a 67 SS396 that I always look forward to seeing at this show. So, okay, sorry. All right. Any, all the guys with testosterone get that right now. They know exactly what I'm talking about. 17.6. Somebody just kind of read it out loud, would you? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, what I'm going to tell you is it's a short step from 17.6 to 6.1. Jan, can I ask you to read 6.1 too? It's a short step from doing what is right in your own eyes to doing what's evil in God's eyes. If you're watching the U.S. Open today, it's a gimme putt. It's a short putt. To doing that which is right in your own eyes, from doing that which is right in your own eyes, to doing that which is evil in God's eyes. And we're going to see that over and over and over again several times in this book. Now, um, so they send, the nation as a whole send in this issue of idolatry, after that, they were taken over by um, groups around them. They were, they were kind of terrorized by groups around them. Do you remember what the groups around them did that was specifically heinous to them? They took all their stuff. They, they'd wait till the, till the crops got ready to harvest, and they'd go steal them. Okay? That, that was going on year after endless year until the Israelites, starving, would finally see the error in their ways or at least be upset enough about their plight that they cry out to God. So they cried out to God and then God sent a judge. In this case, he calls 
to Gideon, and we looked at his call last week. In chapter 6, God calls to Gideon in dramatic fashion, but Gideon was hesitant, wasn't he? Now, wait a minute, I'm not sure I can do this. And he asked for a sign from God. And do you remember the sign that he got in the middle of chapter 6 last week? First of all, an angel comes to him and, and issues the call. That, you would think that'd be enough, right? But it's not. He goes and says, I'm going to fix you some lunch. And he takes the time to fix the lunch. He brings it back. And the angel touches it with his staff. And what happens? Burns up. All this stuff that Gideon has labored over. Uh, guys, I don't recommend doing that when, when, when your wife uh, cooks supper for you, okay? But it happened here. What a sign. And Gideon worships in response to that, but he's still not quite convinced or still not quite ready. Now, look at, uh, let's, let's go to our text. Um, who, you're our reader. Thank you, Sherman. Would you read verse 25, 26, and 27 out of chapter 6? That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one at, that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Kind of this this combined obedience, obedience of Gideon. He does what God tells him to do. God tells him, I want you to pull down all of these places of idolatrous worship. And he goes and does it, but he does it by night. Now, let's think just for a minute about, about what he's uh, responding to. He, um, uh, first of all, he, um, uh, he, you mentioned the, it mentions these houses or, or places of worship or altars to Baal, and that's B and two A's and an L, okay? You'll read a lot about Baal in the Old Testament. Baal is kind of a sun god. Um, he's, a, he's kind of a collection. It's not just a he, it's kind of a they, a collection of, um, of kind of provincial or geographical sun gods uh, that, they, that, that, uh, that the surrounding Canaanites worshiped, and that Israel kind of gets into worshiping themselves. They figure, well, we know Jehovah God, but we know that our neighbors also kind of worship this other God, so we'll worship him too. Baal, that's kind of who that is. So he tears down an altar that's been built to Baal, as God tells him to do it. And then he also uh, destroys or pulls down an Asherah pole. Now, Asherah was a particularly heinous um, kind of something that... Um, that crowded into Israelite life and worship. Uh, Asherah, they would, they would erect these poles and think of, when you think of it, think of a totem pole, okay? Uh, I'm not a fan of totem poles. If you've got one in your backyard, I'm sorry. Not a fan of totem poles. But it was, a, it was built to a goddess that, that kind of, well, anyway, there's all kinds of 
gross things we could talk about about that. But this goddess Asherah was a fertility goddess. And so it, supposedly, if they had one in their midst and kind of bowed down to her, sacrificed it to occasionally, it would help their crops grow and help them have lots of kids. Okay? You and I know kind of better than that, I hope. They didn't. And what I like about the story of what Gideon started out to do in the first part of his obedience, as God told him to go, is his response was he tore down the altars of Baal. He tore down the Asherah poles and then used the Asherah poles as wood for the fire to build an altar to God and sacrifice a bullock or an ox or something uh, to Jehovah God, to the one true God. I like that, that he took uh, something pagan and made it good, made it uh, uh, kind of into a, in a, to a place of worship. But he, what was the only problem with what he did here in these verses in 6? He did it at night. He did it at night. Uh, why? Because, you know, because it was hot in the daytime, right? No. By the way, I've been trying to do some things at night because it's kind of hot in the daytime, but no. Is that what, why? Because he was scared. He was afraid. And there was some, um, there was some reason to be afraid. Look, look at verse 28 with me, same chapter, 6. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, I like that word there, behold. It's the word eureka there, okay? The altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of city, the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he's torn out the altar of Baal, and indeed he's cut down the Asherah, which was beside it. Now it sounds like he was rightful in being a little afraid of doing this in the daytime and having done it at night. But Joash, now that's Gideon's dad, Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? Okay, now who was Baal? He was a god, a little g-god, right? Or a collection of gods. Will you contend for Baal? Will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, Baal, if he is a god, let him contend for himself because someone's torn down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he named him Gideon. He named him Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he torn down his altar. Now, from this point on, if you're reading the story of Gideon, it may say Gideon and it may say Jeroboam. And if you understand the story uh, and what Gideon's dad changed his name to here, it's basically uh, his new name, Jeroboam, is Baal, you want a piece of me? Come get me. Okay, that, that's it, right? Imagine uh, Joe Pesci right there. That's his name, okay? Baal, you want a piece of me? That's it, okay? Uh, let Baal fight for himself. I love, Joe, I, I love uh, Gideon's dad's response to this. So that's kind of how that turns out here. And is, from then on, if you read Jeroboam, just get, kind of you see the name and think, oh yeah, right, that's Gideon. Okay, so it's time for a little house cleaning and Gideon does it. He does the job and then he worships. He judged the job and then he worships. And then after all that, 
As Sherman read verse 27 a little bit ago, do you notice? He did what God had called him to do so far, but he still lacked what? Confidence. He lacked confidence. You could argue he lacked some faith. I heard that out there too. You're right. It's, it kind of causes me to question, is it okay in my obedience to lack confidence? Let me mention some names to you. Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea. You could argue Joseph, uh, the adoptive father of Jesus. Um, how about Moses? I, I'm just quickly, I begin to think of some who did the right thing, but they still lacked some confidence. Nicodemus, Aram, Joseph, and Arimathea both came to Jesus by night, uh, like Gideon did here. Uh, it's interesting to me to think about this um, because Gideon followed through although he wasn't completely confident at the time. And I just want to say to you, he was in pretty good company. He did the right thing. He started out well. He didn't do all of it like we would wanted him to. You know, we would want him to kind of stand up with a, with a backbone of stainless steel and do it at high noon. But he did it. And God met him there. And he delivered the people and delivered him and delivered them from this awful thing that they were doing. Now, I want us to go back into chapter 6. Sherman, can I get you to read some more? Go to 36 and read down through 40 if you would. Just an editorial comment. I, I think you're speaking to me today, Steve. <laughs> it's amazing how much the people of the Old Testament we're still like. Certainly yeah, speaking for so myself true. and if we read this next 36 through 40 even more. Then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed a fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Okay, now I want to address just for a couple of minutes here, this whole issue of... Uh, putting out a fleece. Have you ever said that? Have you had somebody say that to you? Well, I'm putting out a fleece on this. This is where this comes from, okay? Now, the idea here is uh, they live in a pretty arid region, and uh, um, I, what I find kind of interesting is I've got a sprinkler system in my house, and I can't even control that. Can you imagine trying to control the dew that falls, you know, naturally here? Uh, so Gideon says to God, if you... If you really want me to do this, then I'm going to put a fleece out. I'm going to put a sheepskin out. 
And it, you know, it, it, he, he checked AccuWeather. There's a 100% chance of dew in the morning. And he says, okay. He says, but what I want to do when I go in the morning to find, check my fleece, I want it to be wet and everything around it to be dry. Interesting. That's a really confident approach to life, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so he, he kind of puts, uh, says this to God. And, uh, and, and so he sets out his fleece. And uh, sure enough, um, when he goes out in the morning, it dries a bone everywhere except on Gideon's fleece. Uh, so much, if you, know, if you read on, he wrung the fleece out and collected a bowl full of water. Okay, now, um, uh, I wonder, and I, I don't really have an answer for this. I, I think I might. Was the fleece a test for God or a test for Gideon? I, I think... Gideon designed it as a test for God, but God says, be careful if you try to test me, or and then in another place he says, go ahead and test me. By the way, that's on giving, if you want to check that one out. But I'm not real sure, or maybe I am kind of sure, whether this is a test of God, which Gideon designed it to be, or if it's a test of Gideon, which God used it to be. And so, uh, God certainly met the test, as he always does. And what was Gideon's response? Let's do this again. Let's do this again. He's not convinced. He's still not confident enough in God's call. Okay, so this time he, um, he sets up the opposite challenge. I think he says, God, now today, okay, he says, Today, uh, I want you to keep my fleece dry while everything around it is wet. Now, I think both of these are, are equivalent challenges, although the second one may be a little tougher than the first. Okay, so, um, so he does, does this. Now, and what happens to the second fleece? Dries a bone, and somebody turns the sprinkler system on, and it's wet all around it. Okay, that's, that's what we got. That's the scenario. And we got to talk, talk a little bit about this issue of putting out fleeces. Now, what I'm going to say here is I think that the issue of, of putting out a fleece is really only good or effective, and it was certainly good and effective in Gideon's case, as a method of, here's the word that goes in the blank, confirmation. Had God already called Gideon? Had God already told Gideon that he had a job for him to do? Yes. What Gideon was trying to do was confirm what God had already called him to do. Now, think about how, if you've ever used this method, and I'm not faulting you for this, I've tried it in the past myself, but if you ever use this method uh, to try to find God's will, it's kind of a funny and fairly easily manipulatable thing, Okay. What I would say to you about that is, you know, there are times when I will say, okay, Lord, if you want me to have a Big Mac, I'll find a, a, a McDonald's on the next corner. Well, the problem with that is there's a McDonald's on every corner, right? If you want me to have this really fat uh, Starbucks drink, there'll be a Starbucks when I turn the corner. Well, there's a Starbucks around every corner, right? So my fleece is a little bit wet before I ever put it out. And I might say, when Rhonda comes in and smells big back on my breath, I might say, well, God told me it was okay. You see, 
I'm not sure that's a really good way to relate to God and what he wants you to do. Um, it, it, it could be a deal also where, where like Gideon, I kind of lack confidence. And so I want the stars to all align and everything to be in the right spot. And I, I say to God, okay, God, if you want me to do this, then you're going to sell my house. You're going to, you're going to, um, you know, the moon will be in the seventh house and Jupiter will align with Mars. Okay. That, you know, that reference, don't you? 19, boy, he even knows the year. Uh, everything's going to be lined up. And when that happens, I'll do what you're calling me to do. I'm not sure that's a really good way to relate to God. I'm not really sure that's a life of faith. In fact, I want to say, where is the faith in this? Be careful when you say, God told me this. Uh, even in recent days, I've had people say to me, well, this happened and this happened. It was just clear to me that God did it. Now it had come unraveled. And now what's got up to now? Well, the truth is, your fleece was wet for, at first. You know, you went out and sprayed water on the fleece before you ever asked God about it. All right? Be careful. I'm not saying the putting out of fleeces is a bad thing. But what I'm saying is, if you want to use this method, use it as Gideon did, as a method of confirmation. Not to actually reveal his will to you. His will had already been revealed to him. Okay, so in verse 39, when he asks for this second test, he wants more, more um, uh, confirmation here. Even though he truly fears God, I like this. Does, this. does him going back to God make God mad? I don't think so. In fact, Gideon goes to him and says, he says okay, I, I, I fear you, I respect you, but would you please confirm one more time? Now, did, did he really need this? In, when we're looking at it at, with, you know, what, 3,500 years of, of history, we don't think he really needs this kind of confirmation. But remember, what he's getting ready to do is a daunting task. And it doesn't make God mad at all. In fact, he reverses the test, acts exactly as Gideon asked him to, and it confirms what he's called him to do. Look at verse 40. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was on all the ground. God's message was clear. Now Gideon was to act, and act he did. Okay, can we go to the next little section? Sherman, I'm going to call on you again. If you, you just, I'm going to have you read a little bit at a time. Read the first three verses of chapter 7. Can you do that? So Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were, were, camped, were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Okay, now Gideon, 
uh, is going to act on what God has told him to do back in the early verses of chapter 6. And so he goes out and begins to call together an army. If you read verse 34, uh, 33, 34, and 35 of chapter 6, what you'll recognize is that Gideon was a, quite a leader already. In fact, he could have, it could have been deemed that he was too effective as a recruiter. If you read those three uh, verses, he blows a horn, blows a trumpet, and 32,000 guys show up. Now, he must have been Maynard Ferguson. You don't know that name? Doc Severinsen. You know that name? Okay, he must have been a really good trumpet player because he blows a horn and 32,000 men show up and God says, wait a minute, you've done too well recruiting guys. And so he, he kind of puts him through uh, some other things here, but he was just too effective as a recruiter um, uh, with these 32,000 men that show up. So as you uh, heard um, uh, Sherman read a minute ago, God says to Gideon in verse four and five, I'm the one who's going to choose your army for you, not you. God says, I'll be in charge of recruitment. I know you're good at this, but I'll be in charge of recruitment. He's got 32,000 guys kind of hanging around, waiting around. Now, what you need in vision, I'm reading a lot of stuff about the Revolutionary War these days. What you need to recognize is, by the way, when these, some of these guys showed up to fight in the 1700s, they had no guns. They brought picks and hoes and farm implements. You know, you got to think about that. These guys aren't well armed. They bring whatever they got. They bring a piece of a plow or, you know, one knife that they used to, you know, for whatever. So they've got 32,000 militiamen and God says, wait a minute, I'll choose your army for you. And so he cuts down the army immediately by, uh, what was the first cut? Did you catch it? By 22,000, it goes from 32 to 10, right? So he cuts it down to a third right off the bat from 32,000 to 10,000. And then God says, you still got too many people. And so he puts this test together that, um, that he puts Gideon's army through or has Gideon put his army through. What does he have him do? He has them drink at a spring or at a little pond at a, at a well. Now, Rhonda's got all this figured out. I don't. I really don't understand why the 300 got chosen if it had something to do with the way they drank. Did you, you catch that? Rhonda says it's because, it's because uh, 9,700 of them got on their knees and drank, you know, with their head down, and only three of them were looking up. Some preacher has told you that, hadn't he? She says it's because only the 300 were watching while they drank. I, I don't know. All I know is what Gideon is left with is 300 lappers. Lapper, they're laughing, okay? 300 lappers. I, maybe they're really superior lappers. I don't know, but they're, okay. He gets 300 lappers. But look at 712 just for a second. The word that goes in your blank here is Gideon's army was now really outnumbered. Look at 712. This is how the Bible describes the army they were against. Okay, verse 6, now the number of, uh, of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. The rest of the people kneeled to drink water, so he says to the rest of them, go home. Now look at verse 12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east 
were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. What does that mean? The swarm of them, a bunch of them. And they were all smoking. Their camels were without number. Did you catch that? Well, they were on camels. That's a big deal. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now, the Bible uses some hyperbole here on purpose, but it's the idea that as Gideon would look out with his 300 farmer guys, he'd look out and he couldn't see the end of the enemy. They're as numerous as the sand of the seashore, and every one of them had a camel. Clearly outnumbered. So where are we here? A multitude against us, only 300 of us, but we got a twice-confirmed fleece. I'm thinking maybe the second fleece had to do with this moment in time. If a single fleece confirmed God's call to Gideon, Maybe on this night, when he had 300 guys and he's scratching his head thinking, how in the world are we going? And looking out at all of these, as my dad would say, jillions of people against them. Maybe it mattered late that night when Gideon said, you know what though? God confirmed this again. Again. My fleece was wet one night. It was dry the next. Evidently, this is okay. Evidently, I'm supposed to do this. Even though it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I've been there, by the way. Where literally, if I'd gotten a legal pad and written down all the things pro and all the things con, the cons were filled up a whole legal pad and the pros were about this long. And yet God said, do it anyway. It's happened to me a lot. And I would go to her and say, okay, dear, I know this doesn't make sense. I don't know what it means we're going to pack boxes again. And I know we're going to make less money than we made before. I know all that. But we got to do it anyway. Thank Jesus. She was a person of faith. Otherwise, she would have said to me, what are you smoking? The truth is, God leads me sometimes into things that don't make a whole lot of sense. And so he does with Gideon here. Now, Sherman, can we read 9 down through 14? Here's the rest of the story somewhat. Let me find 9, Steve. Here we go. Find it. That night the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, my phone keeps jumping. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in a valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. 
The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. Okay, now, Gideon needs further encouragement. He doesn't need confirmation. He's already got that. But he needs further encouragement. And what I think is beautiful about this is notice who sets this up. It's not Gideon. Gideon doesn't go to God and say, uh, can you give me some more encouragement? God says, okay, pal, I'm sensing you need a little more encouragement. Don't you love that? And he sets up this, it's not a test, either for Gideon or for himself. It's just another little confirmation. He needs encouragement here. And so Gideon uh, slips with his men kind of near enemy lines and, and they're around the campfire. And uh, he's listening, and he, what he overhears, so what he overheard was exactly what he needed. What did he overhear? What? A, a guy's dream. What was it, Doyle? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a loaf of barley that rolls into the Amalekite and Midianite camp and bowls them all over. Basic kind of. Okay. And the guy interpreting the dream says, who's the loaf of barley? And they identify it saying, it's got to be Gideon, son of Joash. Jared Baal. Mr. Baal, you want a piece of me? You know, that guy. He hears this in the enemy camp on the night before battle. And God set all that up. How good is the Lord Jesus? It was his setup. So what he overheard was what he needed. What he overheard was what we shared last week, I think, in 6 verse 12. What he overheard was similar to what the angel had said to him in verse 12 of chapter 6 when he greeted him as, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Remember that when Gideon didn't think he was a warrior at all? He overhears this. In fact, he overhears the enemy talking about it. And so in verse 15, he worships. What you can put in the final blank there is Gideon's victory came only after worship. He just falls down before God and says, you are so good. You're so powerful. And I see it. He says, um, look at verse 15. Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Um, sorry, wrong chapter. Um, he says, verse 15, when he heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. So here's what happens. He divides his men by hundreds. He's got a hundred here and a hundred here and a hundred here. They're kind of, they're trying to get around this vast army. They do go by night, but this is on purpose. Okay, they go by night. They kind of surround the camp of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And what they did, you got to catch this, is they blew a trumpet and they, in one hand and they smashed a pitcher in the other hand that had a torch in it. You catch this. They blew a trumpet that they held in one hand. They smashed a pitcher that they had in the other hand. What's missing? A sword, no weapon. They didn't need it. 
They drew a trump, blew a trumpet with one hand. They smashed uh, a, 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 a vessel, uh, a pitcher with the other hand. I can't imagine the noise of that. And if you read verse 20 and 22, you recognize that the armies that Gideon was so afraid of, here's what the Bible says in verse 22. The Lord set the sword of one against the other. They played a horn, smashed a pitcher, held up a torch, let out a shout, and the enemy armies, as numerous as they were, fought against each other, and those who didn't survive that inviting ran away. What's your fleece telling you? What is God confirming in your life right now? What is your fleece telling you? The fleece told Gideon one really, really simple word. Go. Or if you live in Portland, Oregon, just do it. And he did it. He did exactly what God told him to do. What is your fleece telling you? I mean, you ring it out one night, and then you put, put it out again the next night, say, can you do that again? And God does that. And he's telling you to do something. Or maybe he's just saying, I've got something for you to do. And if you'll just kind of show up, I'll fill in the blanks as we kind of go on the way. He did that a lot in the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, follow some of their story. But it's clear to you that he's telling you something. He's telling you to go. What would have happened if Gideon would have said, okay, Lord, you know, I, I got a wet fleece one night. I got a dry fleece the next night, but I'm still not sure. I'm going back home. I'm going to plow corn. Get somebody else. I don't know. What I do know is that because he answered affirmatively to God's call, 40 years of peace ensued in the nation. 40 years, that's a long time. That's the rest of Gideon's life and into his son's life. What I do know about this is if God is telling me to go and I say no, peace will not follow. Can I tell you that? But if God is saying go, and I say, all right, we're going. I don't know where we're going, but we're going. It always follows. It's always followed by peace. That things might not be perfect. They've rarely been perfect in my life. But the sense that I'm in the center of God's will, the sense that I'm where he wants me to be doing what he wants me to do, even though I don't get it sometimes, brings an amazing amount of peace Not necessarily a whole lot of other stuff. So when God says go, please don't say, whoa. I'm, I'm really curious. If you want to email me some of these, I'd love to hear them. How 
a fleece put out in your life resulted in some kind of confirmation of what God was supposed to do, uh, God was calling you to do and what you were supposed to do and how that kind of came back to you. I'd love to hear some of those stories. When God calls you, and can I tell you one more time, he is calling you to something. He is. It, I can say that without any fear. He is calling you to something. What is your fleece telling you? My question is, are you doing it? Are you moving in that direction? That is the path of peace in your life. Thanks for hanging out with me with Gideon the last couple of weeks. We'll talk about Jephthah next week, chapter 11. See ya. Thank you.